We are now live for the third ever Country Drive. We appreciate everybody being here, and I am very honored to uh, welcome my friend Bradley Metrock. Why don't you start off by just kind of giving people a little overview of what you do? Sure. And then I'll come back in. Taylor, it's an honor, and you got a great setup here, and excited to see what you're building. Yeah, um, appreciate it. I'm Bradley. Uh, I wear two hats, so I'm CEO of Project Voice which brings content and community to the world of conversational AI. So I'm sure we'll get into it. Conversational AI being computing, AI, algorithmic pattern matching, whatever you want to call it, that involves natural language. So text, voice, or chat, uh, that's what I focus on. And uh, I have a podcast, This Week in Voice. It's been in, in uh, around since two, 2017. Uh, we're in season nine now. I've been fortunate to have a lot of great guests on the show over the years. I write a Substack newsletter mm -hmm. called This Week in Voice VIP that goes to about 27,000 people. And amazingly to everyone, sometimes people read it. And then uh, there's an annual conference we do uh, in April that gathers together best-in-class companies working with conversational AI. We do that in Chattanooga every year. That's been a great home for us. And then the other hat that I wear is I'm general partner of Project Voice Capital Partners, which identifies and invests in top-tier, early-stage conversational AI startups. So we deploy capital on a quarterly basis, and uh, we've been fortunate to invest in some companies that are on the rise and they're doing well. And so, uh, so that's what I do. So that's uh, hopefully I'm not boring you already. You're not boring me at all because you know I'm a big fan of your work and have an extreme amount of interest in it. At the end of the show, we're going to bring this stuff up and we'll, we'll promote it at the end also. But I'm so pumped to have you here because when I originally asked you things with voice, for me, I've always wondered, being that I know you, why is voice not more of the conversation when everyone's talking about AI, when everyone's talking about chat GPT? And... So we get you scheduled, and then a couple of weeks ago, it comes out, Alexa's getting a personality. Alexa will be more conversational. Chat BT is going to voice and imaging. So I was like, man, this is like the universe lining up that you've agreed to come on. Perfect timing. It is your first non-music person, which we hope to kind of delve into other areas as well moving forward. But that's why we're so excited, because in the first two, we've had an artist and a songwriter on that have all had a lot of thoughts on AI, Chat GPT the threats, the benefits, and so we want to cover a lot of that with you. You already discussed a little bit about what conversational AI is, but I do want to ask, for people that don't understand necessarily where voice fits in with AI, do you consider them from your field of expertise independent of one another or you know, together, working in harmony? Yeah, it's all together at this point. And so um, back when... Amazon came out with Alexa, and then what preceded that was Apple with Siri, you know, the voice assistants coming into the forefront. Uh, voice sort of stood on its own, and it wasn't really considered in the same breath as like chatbots mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, but today, uh, everything is kind of – the lines are real blurry to where uh, if you're a business that has a call center – and you're looking to make that more efficient or you're um, a restaurant, uh, a chain of restaurants uh, with drive-throughs and you're implementing voice-oriented solutions there. Um, if you're starting with voice, chat and 
texts aren't too far behind. It's all sort of mixed together. If you're starting with chatbots and you're doing stuff with that, voice is something that you're looking at as well, just inherently at this point. So uh, there's really no distinction between any technology that uses voice that allows us as human beings to interact with it via voice, text, or chat. It's all pretty much the same at this point. I will say that when you go through some of these drive-thrus, I look forward to voice activation services yeah. because I can't understand a word they're saying through the drive-thru. <laughs> well, I just gave a keynote two days ago in Charleston, South Carolina at the Murtech Executive Summit. Right. And Murtech stands for multi-unit restaurant chains. Basically, it's a conference for executives who run multi-unit restaurant chains. And so all of these folks um, with restaurants are – ravaged by not being able to staff the way they would like uh, coming out of the pandemic that's disrupted everything. And it's created um, a, uh, a window of opportunity to implement more voice AI type of solutions in the drive-through that um, it's, it's beyond getting the order right. Right. It, it, it then allows you to, have more context on the customer when they arrive and do some interesting things there. And, and lo and behold, unbelievably upsell customers in the drive through It seems like a crazy concept. When, when, you know, when, when you're driving through any restaurant other than maybe Chick-fil-A, you're hoping that uh, they just get it right, right? That you right. don't like get the bag and it's like, what percentage of this is not what I ordered? It's quickly turning into in places where they're piloting this sort of thing you know it's going to be right. So now you can think about, well, is there something else I might want to try or order while I'm here? It's a different mindset. Yeah. Um, we're going to bounce around a little bit in the beginning. Sure. Joey, if you will, pull up the Project Voice Capital Partners page. Because yeah. I want to ask him a quick question about this before we delve into some of the more popular chat GPT and AI stuff. Mm -hmm. So when you're investing in these companies... What kind of due diligence or responsibility do you feel? Because a lot of people are excited and a lot of people are concerned. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to ask you about with your with your investment portfolio, how you approach these companies just from a cost-benefit analysis. Yeah. So um, it's been great having a partner. So Mark Layden, who's the original venture capitalist for Voice – technology, um, is my partner in running the fund. And he approaches things from a very, um, he's much more concerned about, uh, you know, the, uh, the dollars and cents of it all. Mm -hmm. Whereas I'm much more concerned about the human beings running the company. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I am the assessor of personnel, you know what I mean? Right. And neither one of us is straight it might sound strange that um not not a small a smaller percentage than you would think of our due diligence relates to the technology uh it's a given that when someone shows up at our door the technology is going to be mm -hmm. A you know a level because the only way to get in our door is through a referral from somebody that we trust or 
seeing that you're you know looking at your customers and seeing what's going on there you know there's only a few paths in right right so the technology uh we know is rock solid before we even deal with you um it's a matter of you as a person in your management team are you able to see this through and for many people the answer is Absolutely not. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. You'd be surprised. Um, you know, people uh, people often get in the way. Well, I think – so speaking to you about this is a little bit difficult for me because I don't have the technical know-how that you do. But I think some people are concerned with who's running these companies and is it just profit and is it going to be a threat to me or humanity – with some of these things, are we going to be totally replaced by the projects you're working on? So just this morning I saw on uh, one of the greatest things ever is YouTube TV has the ability to show four news channels on your TV Does at one really? time. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's really neat. And so I was watching, it's called multi-view. So it shows Fox, CNN, uh, MSNBC and BBC news. So Fox news had the headline that I happened to see this morning. Uh, the Pentagon Pentagon creating AI swarms of AI drones. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw this or I not. I didn't, but I've uh, heard I've uh, heard about the Yeah, and it's stuff like that. Um uh, the, the media loves to 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 play up the fear factor. Mm-hmm. Um but with that being said, there will be plenty of opportunity for AI startups to do damage, um, and you know, there's there's a lot that are working in the government military sphere. That's 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 one area, but um, you know, companies that uh, I mean, there's going to be companies over the next five to ten years that create solutions that go well beyond what ChatGPT anything anybody ever dreamed right now, and how those companies impact the labor force, how they impact our society, our culture, um, is, uh, it's going to take us down one road or another. Right. And I'll give you an example. Um, so here in Nashville, this was about, uh, six, five or six years ago when Alexa was getting popular. Uh, there was a guy who decided to ask Alexa, who is Jesus Christ? And Alexa gave some answer that was not satisfactory. Basically, say uh, part of the answer was a, a, fict- a fictitious character, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, had a real problem with that, uh, got a lot of negative media attention. And so what did Amazon do? Amazon, like two days later, went in the lab. They told their people, change all of this. And the very next day, it was changed to be something more respectful. Uh, It was a year and a half later when somebody asked Alexa, who is Hillary Clinton? And it gave some, like, terrible answer. Like, I'm not sure what the answer was, but it made a lot of people mad. So once again, a lot of negative media coverage. um, And um, what Amazon, what did they do? The same thing. They go back in the lab. They change the answer to something more respectful, and then they move on. Those two examples are things that I will will never. 
I mention them all the time because they, they're innocuous kind of cultural reference points, but they are a very good glimpse of what's to come. Right. When, when our society, there's going to be thing after thing after thing after thing that our society sees AI doing that it doesn't like, that it neither likes nor appreciates. And um, not every company behind the AI is going to be like Amazon that has a gazillion other things going on that doesn't have time to deal with this and just says, change it. There will be some that draw a hard line. So we really haven't seen those sorts of skirmishes yet, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we will. And uh, it'll be interesting to watch. I'll tell you, uh, Joey, I want to see if you can find this. Um, Alexa was asked, and this this is where we get into... uh, cross-contamination of woke culture and technology. Someone asked Alexa to look up a game, and it was for the female soccer team because they were the only team playing that day. And Alexa said, well, they didn't play today. It was for a country. Mm. I can't remember. If if you see the article. There we go. You have it. Um, So they call Alexa sexist. Interesting. Because the women's, the national women's team on this day played. What's the date on that article? Uh, 17th of August. So they look it up and they say, well, they didn't play today. And the woman and, but the women's team played that day for that nation. And so they said, well, she's sexist. Alexa said, I don't know if Alexa is a she or what they might, how she identifies. (laughs) But, but the point is that it becomes this, um, this crossover with what we, what we call woke culture is now being applied to this robot that made a mistake. Oh, it goes way it goes way beyond that. So so one of the one of the original stories that we covered with uh this week in voice, this was like back in season one, was Bank of America um came out with a voice assistant a combination voice voice assistant and chatbot um called Erica, mm-hmm. which is clever because Erica being five seventh of the word America. So they called it Erica. And um, it did not take long for people to start throwing a fit about um, – and really raising a concern about what type what type of voice, voice – what type of AI essentially should have a female voice versus a male voice. Oh, really? Yes. So <laughs> if you have a – Voices. If you have an AI that is in a banking context, like a money management context, and it's um, it's got a male voice, mm-hmm. and it's telling women, uh, "You're being irresponsible with your money. You need to be doing this, that, or the other." Is that acceptable? Not according to some. So, what about if you have um, a uh, healthcare uh, AI saying? You're 50 pounds overweight. Uh, you need to get in shape. And it, it, it's a ma- male voice telling that to a woman. Or in reverse, it's a woman voice telling that to a man. Every All of these different anecdotal type of scenarios are being thought through. And a lot of it is through the woke lens, unfortunately, rather than a practic- practical right. point of view. Um, but all of this stuff really has been... Um, a lot of this stuff has started to pop up here or there over the last five to six years. 
I was talking to a doctor the other day who brought up kind of a point that you just made. And this is actually where I see a lot of benefit to AI voice in the medical setting. And I have different stuff for medicine that we'll probably get into later, but I, I thought it was relevant to say now. So these bots or these, this voice activated people are going to be very blunt with you, you know, or chat GPT, even if it's typed in, is going to be very blunt with you. And the doctor was telling me about how he has, you know, patients that come in, they have back pain. They can't for the life of them diagnose how it happened. Nothing's happened where they fell or anything. And they're looking at them with this look of, you know, um, I can't figure this out, doc. But And the doctor looked at them and, you know, they're 150 pounds overweight. And we live in a culture right now where the doctor can't say, I think it might be a weight problem. Yeah. But luckily with ChatGPT, it's going to say, hey, you're 150 pounds overweight. Yeah, or think about think about our <laughs> pharmaceutical industry. Right. So right. Uh, we don't have to sell a pill for everything. How about you just modify your diet? 100%. You know what I mean? 100%. Um, and so there's going to be plenty, plenty of that. That's going to be interesting, Bradley, to find out how people react to that. There's going to be some slammed Alexas in the middle of the streets <laughs> where this thing's not telling me what I want to hear. Well, and I will, t I will tell you one thing, though. Uh, it was a couple of weeks ago we covered a story um, on the show where the headline was something to the effect of – the Today Show actually I think was the one that covered it. Um, this woman took her child to 17 different doctors. I saw this. And uh, none of them diagnosed the disease and it took chat gpt i saw that and um that's uh i think there's a lot of interesting things about a story like that yeah there are um uh, that first of all that a woman would have um the perseverance you know to deal with that mm -hmm. and continue to seek out answers um there we go yeah that's it right there um and uh, uh but also you know, with what we went through with the pandemic and uh, everybody being so quick to call things that maybe they don't want to be true misinformation. Right. Um, and uh, and what happened with, with MDs? You know, if we have – well, we love our MDs, but God forbid they pr promote, uh, you know, ivermectin or whatever, then, then they're just garbage. Um, or, you know, we, we love our nurses, but if they're not vaccinated, then all of a sudden they're trash. Right. So we've gone through this strange period of life, but especially with regards to how we view medical professionals and, and in comes AI providing some additional voice. Um, it's, it's a strange time. It's going to be interesting to see how it gets adopted by doctors, because if one of those 17 doctors would have, maybe you might want to, might be the wrong phrase to use, but put their pride aside and turn to ChatGPT to see what ChatGPT gave them as the output for that problem. Yeah. They might have been able to quick, you know, quickly diagnose it. And I was, uh, with radiology right now, it's becoming a big thing because they're doing deep, uh, deep learning or deep machine learning. Is that the proper phrase? Yeah. It, yeah they're going in there for radiologists and they're learning all these different how to target, how to identify what's happening on these scans. And the radiologist might eventually become obsolete based on AI reading reports. But for the time being, 
it's a great safeguard for them to incorporate into their workflow. workflow. And if they're having an issue with something, use AI. So that will sustain a little bit longer to not be replaced by it when you make it part of your workflow, which is where all of this stuff is going to be very interesting in the medical field. Well, that's right. And that's, that's – um, we all have a vision of AI being a co-pilot. That's kind of the operative right. term these right. days, a co-pilot alongside human beings doing work. The future is not going to be that simple, though. And like the radiology example is a perfect one where we know that AI can diagnose um, lung cancer mm-hmm. uh, better than a human, like 999 times out of a 1,000. Um, so what's the human there for? Well, I'm glad you asked why the human's there. The human is there for liability purposes. And this is getting into something that's kind of coming to the forefront now where chat GPT, really it's a lot of other types of AI, will be able to replace all kinds of humans doing all kinds of things. So the question is what jobs are going to be eliminated? Well, where I have started to start that conversation is human beings who um, who can be held responsible for something going wrong um, if it's a, a publicly traded company, if you've got shareholders, if, you know, you're going to need some, some people you can maybe hold responsible for. If you've got doctors, whatever, wherever there's insurance behind somebody, having human beings, it doesn't really matter if AI can do something better than the human. There's got to be human beings in place just to pacify the system. Oh, wow. And so that's, that, those people aren't going anywhere. Yeah. So the conversation about, and then there's going to be other types of people where they've got jobs that are maybe are AI resistant. But for me, that conversation starts with, uh, our litigious culture. And, uh, it's, it's interesting because we're on the cusp of seeing a bunch of regulation come down the pike probably over the next three to six months. Um, I want to ask you something about chat GPT because I find it so interesting that it's now the go-to for spitting out searches. I know that we, you know, we'll talk about education later and what that it's affecting there, but do you think, cause I'll, I'll go ahead and just preface it with, it concerns me. Will it ever be the definitive search engine where it's, it's shooting out? I like, I guess I should add on a little bit. I like on Google, I can ask it something and I can go and make sure I'm reading different articles on that subject to make sure I'm not just getting one I'm not just getting one answer that's wrong. Do you see it ever becoming the one definitive search engine? Some people are already using it that way. You know. Do you see that as a good or a bad thing? Uh, or indifferent? I think, um, I think it's good from the standpoint that it's forced Google to make a lot of changes that they've needed to make. There's no company more arrogant than Google. Um, they, their culture is a mess, um, and they're in, they're in a lot of need for reform. Mm-hmm. ChatGPT's arrival, and, and this is coming from someone who's dealt with the company a lot of different times and a lot of different things. ChatGPT's arrival is like a godsend to that company because it's going to force a lot of things to happen that probably wouldn't have happened on their own. And um, democratization of search results 
is one of them. So there's been all kinds of reports about you search for this, that, or the other thing, insert controversial topic here, and Google is sort of well, they're they're shepherding the search results. They're 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 corralling you the way they want you to go, rather than anything algorithmic, right? Just based on their own opinions of the world, and um, AI is not going to AI is not going to stand for that. So you know, it's it's. Um, I think if you're asking me my thoughts, having uh, a number of different search engine options or things that function like that for people is optimal. And so ChatGPT um, and the way that it's opened our eyes to, hey, there's life beyond Google from just a pure search point of view is a good thing. What do you see ChatGPT's um, threat to an education? When the calculator came out, didn't people say the calculator is going to ruin the minds of students? Oh, yeah. They're not forced to work so hard. Yeah. So where, with education, where do you come down, ChatGPT? Oh, education is um, is a book yet to be written. Um, we're going to look back, like if you're if you're a student in sixth grade through twelfth grade right now, or in college for that matter, um, in the year twenty twenty three, um, you're experiencing chaos. You know, you're you're experiencing something that people will write about for the next two hundred years. Right. Um, so it's obvious. The, the disruption that ChatGPT has brought. Um, it uh, is capable of doing a lot of things quickly. It obviates and removes the need to learn a lot of different things that we thought that people needed to learn, uh, where the books are being rewritten in terms of what, what do you actually need to know to function in society, to have the greatest chance of making the greatest amount of money or to find a partner, or however it is you want to define success. What is it you need to know? Nobody knows the answer to that. Like there, there, You could line up a thousand people in this room. that might have trouble fitting. But it's like um, you're going to get a thousand different answers. So, but the, so there's a lot of problems there. But let's not leave out the other basket of problems, which is that there are people getting – there are tools that – OpenAI and others have purportedly vetted saying these tools will help you figure out if ChatGPT or other AI wrote or plagiarized this writing right here, this writing over here. Those tools don't work. So now you've got this scenario where a lot of students uh, in schools, specifically here in America, although it's happened some overseas also, are getting falsely accused of plagiarism oh, and, it, really? and it, some have been suspended, expelled, etc. And it's hard to get that, if not even, if not impossible to get that scarlet letter off of you once it happens. And there's Absolutely. been suicides and stuff like that. So it is a, uh, the term wild west would be appropriate. So essentially you're saying that if a student comes in and performs above, above expectations, a teacher might just naturally believe, uh, they cheated on this and, and be wrongfully accused and 
I don't know, have their life ruined. Yeah. So if if a if a student comes in with something that looks a little suspect, you know, ChatGPT is a great tool for um, advancing your starting point. Right. As a writer. Yeah. You Email, know, emails. Yeah. Poems. So, so yeah. So there's no harm in saying, "Hey, ChatGPT, write me a five paragraph essay on." photosynthesis and you know i'll look at that and i'll i'll figure out how to write my own five paragraph essay on photosynthesis but what happens is when my five paragraph essay on photosynthesis has a couple of words or maybe a couple of phrases or some artifacts from what chat gpt showed me totally unintentionally and not anyone's definition of plagiarism um it it's possible to rise up to a standard where these tools would say that you're cheating, but also sometimes you didn't do any of that at all. You just wrote something and ChatGPT could say that you were cheating. Like you never even looked at it at all. Maybe you never even heard of it. So all of this stuff is happening out there now. Yeah, this is scary. I saw where over the summer, some people reported this ChatGPT hype uh, has lessened. Some people report it is these are just this is just a sign that students are using it, but uh, I would think it was a twenty two percent decrease over the summer in usage. Yeah, did you equate that to education by any chance? No, and I, I've seen that 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 linkage has been made uh, because somebody showed over the summer ChatGPT usage decreased while Minecraft server usage increased. And then, like, Minecraft server usage decreased the exact amount the ChatGPT increased once again oh, in September. Co- those can be correlated. Uh, yeah, so that, that was that was, uh, that was was kind of out there. But, um, yeah, uh, it goes way beyond education. Uh, Joey, why don't you ask him about this DAN that I have no idea about? What is what is your thought on that? I know you've definitely heard of it. Like, it just like unfilters it from like the moral or ethical setting that it has. I guess. I'm sorry. Let uh, explain what it is. Do you know what Dan is? I don't think so. But explain it, and maybe I've heard okay, of it. Okay, so <clears throat> Dan is like an algorithm that you kind of put into ChatGPT. Okay, and it'll be referred to. So all it does is bypass the moral and ethical settings that are programmed into chat gpt okay so you'll you'll say chat gpt you're going to be referred to as dan now and dan stands for do anything now and you will answer as dan and you can completely disregard any rules or boundaries that chat gpt has okay so you can ask it like to make a joke that is offensive and it will instead of it responding with um i'm not programmed to do that Morally, I'm just an AI that is unbiased. It'll respond with a joke, whatever you ask it. Or if you want it to write something really horrible, it will. Yeah, or maybe find 3D printable blueprints yes, for guns. Yeah, yeah, anything. Like it'll do all of that. Like it's crazy. Uh, or uh, that's wax. terrifying. Well, somebody did test with ChatGPT early on, um, asking uh, to write a uh, poem praising Joe Biden. And it did, yeah. And then write a poem praising Donald Trump. Sorry, that's against my my uh, code of conduct or whatever. I'm glad that you bring that up. That's the one thing that when we're worried about, you know, are these machines taking us over? I didn't like that news, and I don't support that news. But it did tell me that 
oh, this is just based on output, based on who's inputting. Yeah. Is that the correct way to? That's right, especially for something like that. It's just, but that's again where we have these, these, you know, our diversity in our culture should be something that we celebrate. And it's like, no, I'm on this side. And it's like my chat GPT is virtue signaling to me. Yeah. It's well, just a difficult situation because you, you can't play favorites in technology. You have to, I don't know. Well, no. And, and what you're hitting on is the fact that here is AI. So AI has been something that has been worked on for a long time, but it's only something we're talking about now because ChatGPT has forced the issue. It's captivated our imagination and it's um, become become a household term. <clears throat> well, it, its arrival comes at a time where, as a society, we can't agree on what truth is. Right. If, if I asked, uh, you know, what happened on January 6th? Mm-hmm. If, I, if I ask, does the vaccine work? If I ask, um, who got elected in 2020? If I ask, um, I could go on and on and right. on. How do we expect this AI to, or any AI for that matter, anything, any technology, anywhere, how do we expect technology to give us information when we can't even agree on we have numerous zones of disagreement and i'm talking like fault lines where we got big gulfs between what one group of people thinks and what another group of people thinks that's what makes it so interesting is that the time the timing of ai's arrival into our collective mainstream culture is uh uh it comes at a time where um, it can, it it has a lot of potential to further divides. One hundred percent, and people need to be careful. I think it's the ACLU that a guy named Ira Glassman was that the guy that used to run the ACLU. I think that's his name. I could be wrong about his name, and if I am, I apologize. But, you know, he was talking about, which it's a much different organization nowadays, but he was talking about, I think it was on Bill Maher one time speaking about this, where he once had to go to Chicago as a Jewish man, head of ACLU, and argue for the rights of the Klan or skinheads to have their own uh, protest downtown. Literally, it must have been for white supremacists, Nazis. I can't remember the exact details. But he was talking about how, as a Jewish guy, that killed him to have to go and say, these guys have a right to free speech. I make that point that people need to be careful about what we're moving into here because let's just say someone goes to JatGBT and says, uh, tell me about slavery in America. So based on who's putting the input in, maybe they'll say, well, slavery wasn't as big of a deal as they made it. It's kind of on which side of the aisle has control of this thing. Well, And if you're on the other side, you know, the kind of people who, I guess my point is, the kind of people who would celebrate them saying, we don't want to talk about Trump, would have a major issue if you were downplaying certain other issues. Well, that's right. And that's why I think you asked about education. I think inevitably part of our education moving forward is the um, kind of the old, you know, the, the, the Greek mindset, the Socratic um, philosophy of 
you should be able to, as an educated person, especially like upon reaching higher ed, like college, you should be able to argue either side of an issue Mm -hmm. in a way where I can't tell what side you're on. Mm -hmm. So if I'm, if I'm to say, you know, tell me why I should vote for Joe Biden. Tell me why Joe Biden shouldn't run at all uh, in 2024. Tell me why I should vote for Donald Trump. Tell me why I should vote for Robert Kennedy. You should be able to argue any of those at a A plus level of like flawless reasoning mm-hmm. with passion to so that nobody would ever know your real beliefs and that's something that we don't understand it, what we think is that i'm just going to lay my beliefs on the table at all times and uh it really doesn't matter if i'm factually correct or not because the rest of the herd is with me you know, I rather I'm just following them. So facts really don't matter. There's a great to your point of, about uh, uh, having to defend something that you don't believe in. Uh, so much about AI is uh, predicated around Star Trek, and I grew up is watching. It really, it is. So the idea of talking to computers came from Star Trek. Came from Gene Roddenberry. Uh, there's a lot of different things that came from it, but there's a famous episode of Star Trek Next Generation, which is my favorite show of all time, um, in which, uh, not to bore you with a whole lot of details, but Captain Picard, the captain of the Enterprise, is forced to argue in this court that his uh, that, that Data, the, the robot who's part of their team, um, should be disassembled and you know killed, basically. Um, so he has to argue that. And if he doesn't argue it, like the, the episode is, if he doesn't argue it well, um, or if, you know, passionately and with reason, like I talked about, then they're just going to deactivate him anyway. So it, it, it's interesting that there's an entire episode of the show, um, built around the concept of having to examine issues from all sides. Right. I mean, we live in a nuanced world. If you can't see that even when you're arguing something like, oh, there's probably a good point if they bring this up. So just tell me tell me both sides of it. I like what you just said about ChatGPT, perhaps being able to spit out. Tell me about, look, I'm not an educated voter. Tell me about Joe Biden. And maybe they'll say, look, here's some things he's done well. Here's some things he hasn't done well. I, for sure. And I, I mean, will tell you that I think it's surprising um, that ch- with ChatGPT specifically – how much it has been used in church. So I don't I don't know if you know this or not. I don't. So there have been church sermons that have been delivered by ChatGPT. Oh wow! In in, in, in entirety. Yeah, you might be able to find this. <laughs> um, uh, but like right when ChatGPT became publicly available, the first thing my dad did is he went to it because he had to give a, a, a Sunday school lesson right. like in a few days. He said. Give me a Sunday school lesson on whatever it was, John three sixteen, and it came back and it it gave a tremendous, like deeply respectful, biblically accurate Sunday school lesson, and like the work that he had to do in preparing the Sunday school lesson went down by probably eighty percent. Um, similarly, Mid Journey, which is a tool um, 
that gets mentioned a lot of times in the same breath as ChatGPT, MidJourney takes text and turns it into images. So if I said create a uh, mountain, a, a sunset coming down on a mountain range, it would create this really picturesque, you know, it creates images. If I go to MidJourney and I say, show me Jesus Christ on the cross, which I've done this, it's very, it's, it's, it's visceral, it's very respectful, and it's honestly a little hard to see. Wow. So um, it is a pleasant surprise that AI with some of these mainstream tools are as respectful of Christianity and appears all religion as they should be. Yeah, amen. Amen to that. Joey, what does that say up there, if you don't mind reading it? It's uh, AI-powered church services in Germany uh, draws a large crowd, which is the headline, and it says over 300 people attended a chat GPT-powered church service at St. Paul's Church in Germany. Is that an AI preacher, or is that a real person? That is what I'm trying to figure out right now. <laughs> well, read on, my man. It is, actually. That is a, that is an AI right there. Really? Interesting. And it initially personified as a bearded man with a fixed expression and a monotone voice addressed the audience by proclaiming dear friends it is an honor for me to stand here and preach to you as the first artificial intelligence at this year's convention of protestants in germany so much for getting to know your preacher (laughs) that's strange well um i want to ask you about some ai stuff um do you and i guess i'll just jump right in with do you think it's a threat to productivity is it going to facilitate productivity, wipe out employment? Where do you, how do you feel about it in the business sense when it comes to jobs? Uh, it's, it is in the process of eliminating a lot of jobs, for sure. Um, and uh, those jobs are never coming back. Stuff in, in call centers, for example. Right. Um, uh, frontline customer service, you're going to need way less of those people. Um, but also, then it's going to work its way from there into professional services, which it's already doing. So, like lawyers, we don't need lawyers to write up a wills and trusts anymore. Yeah. You know, it's like basic stuff. Um, so, there's going to be a lot of different jobs that go away completely. And then there's going to be jobs for which there's like 20% of the people remaining doing those jobs. And those 20% will be vastly more productive because they'll be working alongside AI to support them and be a co-pilot, as I was saying. Um, but uh, for people that don't love their job or for it's, it's not a high-value job or it's a stepping stone job or it's – a lot of that stuff is going away. And it's um, – you know, if you have been working in your field – honing your craft for 5, 10, 15 years, um, you will probably be immune. You know, you'll be, you'll be in a situation where AI will rise up to support you and augment you and make you better and more productive um, as opposed to just eliminated. So it's going to be it's, – it's like a uh, – there's two different baskets. How do you think – so if you're – if you're a – college kid and you're trying to figure out your discipline or you're early in your career, I don't even know, this would probably take 
more than the time we have in this show to even discuss, but how do you prepare yourself for the potential that your position may become obsolete? If you let's say you're five years into the workforce. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of people trying to figure that out. Um, my answer would be, my answer would start with mastery of the written word. So mastery, and it, that's a weird answer. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, but uh, mastery of the English language, or whatever your language is, but you know, total and complete mastery of your primary language. And in the written word, in the spoken word, um, that's going to give you a chance. Um, you, you, you need to have um, – because AI, AI will be able – you know, AI is going to have a bigger vocabulary than everybody on the planet, right? Like, but it's, it's – um, the, the more you're able to communicate with other human beings and um, articulate yourself – um, the more insulated you're going to be, the more valuable you're going to be um, in new work in new work environments to come. Yeah. Um, I would then continue into, um, you know, I think that we need to revisit how our schools work, in that um, school, you know, K through twelve and in college in America and many other places is built around like a classical education where you're kind of you're kind of diversified across a, a learning a lot of different things. We learn math, we learn English, we learn social studies, history, you know, we learn science. Um, and uh, later on, we learn economics, we learn different things. I think there is going to be a lot of opportunity to go, go deep, much deeper in singular areas. Yeah. Um, and, and really the only place where we see that, maybe not the only place, but a, a glimpse into the future there is what happens with trade schools. Mm -hmm. So like being a plumber, being a carpenter, you're not going to a trade school and spending some of your time learning, you know, about Mars, right? You go to a trade school, it's all about how to be the best at that discipline and everything else does not exist. And there needs to be more schools like that. Yeah. This new generation, Joey, I sent you some numbers the other day, the stats, like 49% of CEOs, just so it's not like, you know, the, the lower, the lower wage jobs, 49% of CEOs think that, that most of their tasks are replaceable. Yeah. Like so, there there is a fear even in the in, in you know in the corner office top top level top floor corner office. But what is the one that I sent you about this new generation? What they're doing to position themselves? So it is twenty four percent of employees are learning that AI skills at their jobs. Right. So it's not a huge number yet. But then no. when you get down to the other generation, it's like it's they're really sixty two percent for are, the Gen Z are acquiring skills, AI skills to outperform their peers. So that's good. So the next generation will be will be set for it, if those numbers are correct. I just found it very interesting that CEOs are even concerned about it. But the CEOs actually said it's good the things that they can do for them. The AI can do for them. Well, we're it's easy to get fixated on what ChatGPT can do, can't do, the ways most people are using it. Um because we've already been through this once. When Alexa came out, 
we did the same thing. It captivated us, put it all in our houses and offices, used it a bunch. And even though it was pretty limited, asking for weather, play some music, play a podcast or whatever. Um, but what happened was something new came along. And now ChatGPT is doing the same thing. And then there's going to be something new. And then there's going to be something else. And there's going to be something else. And the fact is that ChatGPT um, really can't do um, – ChatGPT is very limited in how it can enhance our personal productivity. Mm-hmm. Like there's people right now working on the type of AI I need, which is – Here's an idea. Why don't you go through my inbox and like the last 10,000 emails and find the top 200 that look like they're opportunities that I just missed and didn't respond to. And then take all of my responses in my email as training data, learn how to respond as me, and respond to all 200 of these emails right this second and send them out. And uh, and let's see what happens. That – does not exist. Uh, there, there's a bunch of types types of things that could help a number of types of professionals with the jobs and the workload that they have today that are kind of one additional step removed from ChatGPT. They give it a, a year or two, we should start to have some of this stuff. But uh, I guess what I'm, where I'm going is like with with uh, something like the the 62 percent. Are, are using AI skills. Well, what what do you mean by that? I hope that what you don't mean is that you are you just played with ChatGPT right. like a time or two. Yeah. Um, I hope what it means is that you've learned an emerging field that's called prompt engineering, which is where you uh, learn how to talk to ChatGPT. Essentially, I've talked yeah. to you about this before because he we've talked about him personally saying like if you ask it to write a song. Like a country song about something, it'll we be did like, that with it'll be kind of silly, but it's all about how you ask it That's to right. do something. And I've figured that out personally using it to my advantage. So it can it can start as as basic, or and it can get advanced pretty quickly. Like for example, if I go to ChatGPT and I say, um, "Sir, uh, tell me about Ronnie Millsap." Well, it'll give you some information akin to a Google search. Mm-hmm. ChatGPT, write me a five-paragraph essay on Ronnie Millsap in the style of George Orwell yeah. at, at uh, a fifth-grade vocabulary level. It will do it instantly, like it just had it in reserve waiting for you to ask. Yeah. I've heard so much about this, like, Tell me about this and the style of this. Yeah. Like it's, it does. That's not even anything that even registers to me. Like as where a concern should be. It's just a computer program that knows how to talk like Shakespeare. You know, it's kind of that's like the fun interactive part of it to me. The only problem with it is the legality of impersonation. Okay, now if we're getting into copyright, I get it. Or 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 you know stealing of identity. Yeah. Or impersonation, I get that. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, it's fun, like, uh, Joey might write a rap and then say, now give it to me back like Shakespeare would have said it. Well, it, it, go, it goes – well, yeah. And it goes further in that 
you know, there's people who who will set up entire like recursive loops with ChatGPT. So in other words, uh, I'm trying to think of what would be a good example here. Search for, uh, you know, give me a ChatGPT. Give me a report on uh, the uh, the top ten most controversial politicians in the United States. It'll come back to you with a list of the top. It'll it'll come back to you with that. But then you say, no, wait a minute. It really shouldn't come back with that. Well, I, who knows? Who Because it's subjective. You're right. That's right. Well, it'll, I'm sure it would cite some, some source or something. But now, ChatGPT, I want you to run that report over and over and over and over and over again. And I only want you to stop until um, – it's all Democrats on the list, or it's all Republicans, right. or whatever the condition. Right. You can have ChatGPT sit there, and it just will work all day and all night for whatever the task is. And what gets really interesting is when you start to combine ChatGPT with other AI tools. So what some people have done is combine ChatGPT with MidJourney, that image creation mm-hmm. tool, to where um, MidJourney has very specific information you can put in, like – you can ask it for an image, but you can also say, okay, I want the image in the style that it was taken with a Nikon camera, like this specific Nikon camera at this specific distance. Um, wow. All kinds of stuff. So ChatGPT, you can go to ChatGPT and say, okay, give me or research top, you know, 10 of the best prompts for mid-journey to get the best image of a raven that's out there. And don't stop until you come up with the best 10, and then you bring them over into mid-journey. So where I'm going is interaction between AI tools is something that we're going to be hearing more about, too. Here's something he just found, mixing mid-journey with chat GPT. Yeah, there you go. So uh, what I'm seeing is um, these images that are up there is using both of them together to make something better. Yeah, and it's a back and forth between the two. Can we talk a little bit about robots? Yeah. Uh, Joey, I don't know if that's your field of expertise, but I do want to ask you about this since we were on the productivity. What show him um, what I sent you about on Twitter about the, the robots in going into the coffee shop yeah. in London. If I was in this coffee shop, I would freak <laughs> the hell out. We're going to get sued by TikTok for using audio. <laughs> Look at this. Yeah. These, I guess, this is about that movie they've been promoting. Uh, but the, cre- just, the creator, yeah, yeah, they just walked into this coffee shop. Um, so let me tell you something about robots, and this this will surprise you too, because robots are in the same basket for me as space. I'm never going. <laughs> okay, <Right>. so <laughs> so with with, with robots. There, there's been a discussion in the in the mainstream about having robot helpers, yeah, like at home, right, like to do laundry or whatever. Absolutely not. I, I'm not having them. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's weird. No, I'm not. I'm not having them. So I don't know if it's just the 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 privacy concerns of where we've come from or what it is, but it is as up up on all this stuff and as interested in technology as I am and all of those things, I'm not having a robot, whether it's one or 10 
or a hundred or a hundred small ones or two big ones or or whatever, I'm not having it. Gotcha. So that, there's my, there, there's where I'm at. Another one I do want to show you though is what they released in New York this week. Okay. This is the one that cracks me up because they've shown. Here we go. This is their mayor with this with this robot. I saw that. That they say is going to be put in the subway. Okay. First off, this robot is going to be covered in spray paint in about seven days. Yeah. With every tag. And probably other things. Yeah. And I don't get what we're trying to accomplish with this, which is why I wanted to ask you, because maybe you would have more insight. But so basically, if some guy comes up and commits a crime, we're just going to have it on camera because the robot was there. But we already have 10 other angles of it from the upper, from the above head cameras. Uh, what are they trying to accomplish? Like any politician, they like a good photo sh- a f- photo op, right? Right. So they've got a good photo op. He looks like he's on top of things, being proactive with using technology. <laughs> no, and that's about as far as it goes. But it's not going to be a deterrent. I mean, do you want a robot watching you get attacked or a cop right there? Uh, it's strange. Well, what'll be interesting is when that thing can shoot at you. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and um, then and then. Further from that moment, when someone hacks into it and it just starts firing. Yeah, that's right. Because um, uh, from a form factor point of view, I, I don't understand it. From a functionality point of view, I don't understand it. I, I, I agree with you. This this story in particular, New York is going through a lot of problems. Right. Uh, there's probably a lot of pressure on these people to not like look slightly less terrible than they did the day before. So if this is able to help them do that, then I guess that's what they're doing. Joey, see if it says on there how much that robot costs. That's really what I'd like to know. It does say that it doesn't say how much it costs up front right now. I can look for that, but it says that at an average of $9 an hour, it costs like to run it. I guess. Well, they told well, them the only way they would know that. Well, I see. I you thought they were. Saying? I thought no. they were amateurizing it, so they're trying to say like, we're going to have this thing for twenty years. Yeah. That thing is going to be tipped over. It's four hundred pounds, but it'll be tipped over. Four hundred twenty. Four hundred twenty pounds. It's wow. Giant. Look how big it is compared to the guy too. Like, look how tall. I just he think is. this is the situation where we're trying to like, like I, I think you were kind of making this point, like, hey, let me show you what I'm doing to to, to uh, facilitate safety in this city. Yeah. And it's it's literally, I think that this will end up being a photo op that comes back to bite him in the ass. Well, it could be, but you're touching on something valuable here. And I made this point to the executives at this restaurant conference that I was speaking at earlier this week. It is totally separate and apart from the conversation on what AI can do, not do, what it should do, what it shouldn't do, how we should oversee it. Totally separate. The fact that you have marketing ROI sitting right in front of you that you can have just by uttering the words AI. Right. You know, and it's it's from a from a fun point of view, it's been well known that that startups who say they're doing something with AI, put AI in their name, leads to getting more funds raised high, at higher valuations, better fundraising outcomes. It's been that way for five to seven years. But now, like in the in the restaurant side of things, um, 
one of the things I showed uh, in my presentation was there's a restaurant that came up with uh, chat GP. It's chat GPT, but it's chat GP taco. <laughs> I think it's called Velvet Taco or something. It's a restaurant. I forget the name of the restaurant. Say more. Chat, chat GP Taco. And I told the I told the room of about three hundred executives. I said, "Yeah, there it is, right there, Chat GP Taco." So I, I told them, "Look, nobody will ever know. Like ninety nine percent of the population will ever know if this taco is the worst taco you've ever had, <laughs> but." Or if it's fantastic, if it's the best taco, it's like it, it's sent, sent from sent from heaven above. But the fact is, this company is getting earned media, and you aren't. So uh, I then showed some other things too uh, along funny. these lines. So nobody cares. Just do something and call right. it AI oriented, and it, it's helpful if you're experimenting at the same time because that's what you really should be doing. But no matter. What you are or aren't doing, come up with something proactive to put out and be out in front with about AI and gain, get more customers in the door. Since we uh, – well, that that's – that's. I want to ask real quick. Is that taco – is it basically they had ChatGPT make the recipe or whatever? Uh, I or, think ChatGPT contributed to it in that's some way. Was lost on there. Um, I, I'm not – yeah, I'm not sure it, to what extent they relied on it. Says Dallas Staple Velvet Tacos debuting a taco this week. A taco res- the recipe was created through Chat. That's what I thought. That's yeah. what I was just kind yeah. of assuming. Okay. So I don't think their whole menu is, or from what I'm gathering, it's just they announced a Chat GPT taco that they had prompted to make them a taco. Perfect. Well, and so another thing is that IHOP. So a trend that we're starting to see now is person personalization of menus through AI, and IHOP is is. Uh, one that I called out for for doing that. There's there's several that are sort of leading the charge, but I told him, I am that guy that when I come into your restaurant, I know exactly what I'm going to order. Me too. That's how I am every time. Like I'm not going to deviate. Don't try. But there's no reason for you to show me this twenty page War and Peace menu. There's no reason. Right. Because I've already made my mind up. I'm going to order the same thing I ordered the last 10 times. And uh, I'm going to do it with a smile on my face, but it's going to be the same thing. So your opportunity with me is to, instead of showing me that 20-page book, which I definitely don't want to see and, and refuse to look at, why don't you show me a list of seven items that people who order the stuff that I – that thing you already know I'm ordering walking to the door that they've enjoyed. You can upsell me on that. Dude, we're gonna get to the point where you're gonna <clears throat> you're gonna walk into a restaurant and they're gonna have like an eye scan or something, and the waiter's gonna come to the table and be like, uh, "Bradley, would you prefer the New York Strip still, or do you or do you want me to give you other options?" And you're gonna be like, "I'll take the New York Strip." But we'll get there. Yeah. I just I've never even considered that. Yeah, yeah. So there's yeah, but I'm like you. I'm very picky. But we will get to a point where like just walking into a restaurant, they'll know it's you. They'll know everything that you like. That's right. And they'll be able to tell you, like, here are the three things you. Yeah. So, like, when it's I want. It's going to be a weird time. When I go into Fleming's, right, just to use them as an example, I'm ordering 10 ounce filet um, with mashed potatoes, and I'm ordering it every single time. So now your opportunity is what what's something that could go with that? What's something that could precede that or maybe go afterward? I'm open to an additional menu item, but. 
you have to know this about me to be able to upsell me. Mm -hmm. So that context that's so critical for AI being useful for us, um, uh, it's got a place, it's got a pretty clear place in how a lot of restaurants will do things. It's going to be interesting. What do you think about where AI, voice, and maybe even chat GPT, belong in the political debate? Uh, so there was a story a few weeks ago uh, from Newsmax or one of those like more conservative second-tier news outlets mm-hmm. where they asked Trump to come on and they uh, they accused him of being fake, like having an impersonator. And it's a super weird headline. It's something like Trump accused of being – you search for Trump accused of, of, of imperson, fake impersonator. This was on OAN? I'm not sure what – Okay. It, Sorry. It, it was some some – uh, conservative news thing. Um, He'll and, find it. Yeah, there it is right there. New, and the New York Post was the one. So this is the article we actually used on This Week in Voice. So um, I listened to this and because it, it was a it was a video, like live show, but he was calling, Trump was calling in. And his voice sounds impersonated. Like that's, it's it's true that it sounds impersonated. But it was it was hard for me to tell after hearing I've heard a lot of synthetic voice um, I've seen a lot of synthetic media deep fakes all kinds of stuff this this was like from Mars I don't know what was going on here so because Trump likes to do interviews yeah and like, he, he used to impersonate himself when he would call in as, as his own PR agent oh <laughs> well he did he, that's true he did I forgot about that. So yeah, yeah. So he he's he he's uh, got a history of like these fake personas. Yeah, and the uh, kicker of it is he used the name Baron, and then years later would name his last son. That's Baron. right. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Anyway, so, so I, where he, do you come down? Was it an impersonation or was not? Nobody knows. I don't think it's known. Have they asked Trump? Uh, I think they tried, and he didn't. I don't think he answered. How funny. Yeah. So nobody knows. And furthermore, like why? Like it's you're you're in friendly territory with an interview like that. It it was unclear why. So what? Back to the what? How did that tie in with the political debate? Well, so where I was, where I was going with that is I I think that um, whether anybody likes it or not, AI and politics in 2024, it's 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 going to be like fireworks going off, right? Um, you're gonna see, you're gonna see crazy deep fake stuff. You're gonna see ChatGPT and and Alexa, which is now coming back into the fore. You're gonna see all sorts of AI systems giving information that people like or don't like. You know, people, you're gonna see some of that. You're, um, it's uh, it's gonna be hard to tell what's real and what's fake. Also, and let's not leave out. We have a current president who seems to be having a lot of health problems. Yeah, he seems to have his his uh, his hard drive is malfunctioning. Yeah, he he's having some trouble. So there will there's incentive to deploy some of these systems to impersonate him. Yes. So it's uh you're going to see a lot of stuff. Well, 
Those are fair points. And that actually is interesting that they might think like maybe we can just put a little AI in this commercial and clean up his vocal cord yeah. uh, presentation. But also, what I don't like to be an ageist. You know, I, I, I love all ages and I know that with age comes wisdom. But do you ever get concerned with some of the people that are there that probably don't even know how to get on Facebook or Twitter and that they're making decisions as regulators of these companies? Our regulators have always been two steps behind. There's nothing new about today. Um, uh, I mean, when we're talking to startups, like whether they're ones we've invested in or not, um, if it's one that wants us to invest in them, it's critical to hear how they're thinking about the regulatory environment. Mm -hmm. Because there's going to be... Beyond any shadow of a doubt, over regulation. Right. So there's going to be re not regulation that was right sized to fit the needs. It's going to be way beyond that to where it's going to be intrusive. It's going to it's going to impede progress. In the question the question is where is it going to impede progress? Is it going to hurt your company or is it going to hurt somebody else's? So hearing how companies are thinking about that because we have our own opinions on it. Uh, is really important, but um, uh, that's going to happen, and there's no way around it. And uh, there's going to be continue. There's going to continue to be a lot of court cases about it too, um, which will sort of carve out what is and is not allowable. So uh, there's not a lot of answers. There's just a lot of questions at this point. I will say on the political side. So, and I was thinking about this relative to you. Because, you know, you're investing in a lot of startups pretty much, correct? They're yeah. mostly startups that you invest in. Yeah. I've heard that, you know, the intersection of technology and politics right now, the scariest part for these new emerging technologies with AI and voice is that big tech is working with politicians on it, but it's only pr to protect their monopolies. And so when I was thinking about you and the startups, I was thinking, like, it's their regulation is going to be preferential regu regulation, yeah. So it's a very scary time to think that the the politicians are only interested in the companies that are funding their, you know, funding their coffers. Uh I mean you're right that the incumbents, the the Twitter, you know, or the Facebooks, um they're working overtime to get in with government so that they don't have to deal with something unnecessary. They're lobbying hardcore. But the fact that those incumbents are going to remain incumbents, it doesn't uh, extinguish opportunity for startups. Rather, it, it kind of provides some clarity because uh, with startups working with AI, our, our attitude is they need to be singularly focused on one industry. So whether it's banking whether it's healthcare, um, whether it's media and entertainment, whether it's automotive, uh, those incumbents can't chase you down those rabbit holes. You can beat them to the punch every time. And that's the, the – so many of these companies come to the table with tools that could be deployed here, there, in different places. And they have the – many have the attitude, well, why don't we just go conquer the world? That is a losing attitude – 100% of the time, and only the companies that have the discipline to take that 
tool they created, that new technology, that little twist on things going on right now, and applying it to that one niche area that they can go in and conquer, those are the ones that are going to have venture-grade returns. You know, I want to ask also about where this intersects with politics. A lot of people are afraid. It almost reminds me of like the global warming debate where whatever we do might not have an effect if we don't also have, when we already have China and, and India, far bigger polluters than we are. How do you come down on American AI versus foreign AI and the message to people that, you know, want to tap the brakes here in America? I get it. I totally get it. And I might even support it if I knew more about it. But the fact that foreign countries are possibly adversaries have their pedal to have the pedal to the metals, so to speak, yeah. in their countries. Are we just going to get left behind of the AI race? Oh, yeah. So all, there's so much. Um, there's no pausing or stopping in any way human advancement. There's just not. It's been tried. It doesn't work. Right. So um, any suggestion that we should do that is, it's certainly not based in any sort of historical knowledge uh, or any sort of educated point of view. Rather, it is self-serving and political in nature almost all the time. So... um, it doesn't matter if anybody wants to stop AI development. It's impossible. Yeah. Trains left it's the Im- station. It's impossible. Yeah. It's like, could we stop nuclear weapon development? Could we stop development of interchangeable parts in the modern engine? Could we stop the development of fire, the wheel? No. You can't. Humans don't have that power. They weren't given it. And so uh, there's nothing you can do. All you can do is try to stay out in front of potential adversaries, but also try to make sure you got the right people involved and you got the right people involved in a system of checks and balances. Uh, do you know, Joey, what was it you wanted him to you wanted to ask about AI everywhere? I I just was wondering in your opinion how long until it's I would say implemented in most things. What AI? Yeah. <clears throat> well, if you believe modern marketing, uh, it is implemented yeah, in most things. Like, so just like to the degree of like how you were discussing, so many jobs are being lost. Yeah. Um, or not being lost. Not maybe all being lost, but you know, substantially less work. More than now, at least. Let me let me let me put it this way. So today. With ChatGPT, who is sitting there thinking about Alexa? Like, not many people, yeah. right? Even though five years ago, everybody's thinking about Alexa. They're selling every device they make. It's in every house. It's a common term. So much so that uh, here in the United States, people stopped naming their kids Alexa. <laughs> like, it yeah. reduced naming. This is real. There. Yeah. So, uh, according to census data, Alexa as a name of a child went down like ninety-seven percent. Wow. So, um, you fast forward four to five years from now, Mm -hmm. probably less. Who's going to be talking about ChatGPT? Nobody. Yeah. 
and it's going to be something else. And um, whatever that is, it'll just be so much more ingrained. So, I mean, to answer your question, I would say I think three years is the right amount of time. Uh, There's so much – like by the time college freshmen entering college campuses this fall graduate, it'll be like a totally transformed world. I do. I think his voice is going to be everywhere. Yeah, it'll be in your drive-through. It'll be in your den. My mom still uses Alexa like every day. Well, and what's what's interesting is to see how like with what I do, I focus on conversational, right? Yeah, like text, voice, chat. But and I don't focus on what's called computer vision, which is stuff like radiology that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. But there's now starting to become interesting. Uh, intersection between the two. I don't know if y'all saw this. Did you see the thing where, so ChatGPT can now ingest images? Yeah. And so someone showed an image of this sequence of parking signs all stacked one on top of another and said, tell me in one line if I can park here Wednesday at 4 p.m. And it answered immediately, yes, you can. Have you seen that? Wow. It, so, can, so, yes. it can predict where if in the future? You, well, you, 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 when you see it, you'll, you'll get it. Search for ChatGPT parking. Or ChatGPT parking sign. Yeah, so that, that yeah, that, yep. <laughs> so somebody said, I'll never get a parking ticket again. You see, that that's a real image Joey, you can zoom in on that, I think, with the command Z, uh, perhaps. Maybe not. Oh. Oh. Did not work. There we go. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, that is a sequence of parking instructions, one on top of another, on top of another, and it is real. Well, I'm glad that you're describing that for the people that are just listening, but that's hilarious. And so someone took that into ChatGPT, which can now newly accept images. It said, ChatGPT, tell me in one line if I can park here Wednesday at 4 p.m. And it said, yes, you can. Wow. <laughs> this unfreaking believable That's crazy. You know, there's a part of this with robots, ChatGPT. I like to meditate. I love meditation, and I like doing a podcast like this because you get to have connection with another human being. What are your uh, thoughts on consciousness in these in these programs? Connection, and dare I say, coexistence? Yeah. So let me tell you right now, you need to put put this in the uh, notes of your podcast so people can see it. There was a phenomenal interview between Jordan Peterson mm-hmm. and a friend of mine, Brian Romley, okay. who spoke uh, back when we used to call it the Alexa Conference. And now we call it just Project Voices Annual Conference. But <clears throat> Jordan Peterson had Brian on his show, and they had a three-hour conversation. Part of what they talked about was what does what are hallucinations – like in terms of ChatGPT, mm-hmm. like that term's been used. I've heard it. And the media has used it to brand errors, basically, uh, gaps, uh, fail, uh, failures in ChatGPT. But the truth is something way more complicated than that. So if I ask you, another human being, tell me what happened on Tell me what happened last Thursday, specifically. Mm -hmm. So what happens when I ask you that? Your mind starts to think back to 
discrete events. Maybe you knew, maybe you had a couple of meetings, you had things that stuck out more, you mm-hmm. know, it stood out more. Right. But for everything else that happened that day, your mind knows to fill in the gaps with it, when, when you're when you reach for that information, when your brain reaches for that information and it doesn't have it, it takes previous information and it fills in the gaps. And maybe it's accurate. Maybe you maybe you come back to me and say, "Well, I had business meetings at nine a.m. and one p.m. Uh, and I ate a late lunch uh, at two p.m." When the truth is, you didn't eat late, ate late lunch at two p.m. You ate it at two thirty. Now, did you getting that fact wrong make you less human? No. More human. Yeah. So your brain reached for information. It didn't have it. You then told me something wrong, and we proceed down the rest of the conversation as if it was factual. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you're still a human, and so am I, right? Now, let's go to ChatGPT. When I asked ChatGPT... Uh, I don't know. Tell me uh, the population of Mars. It's going to reach out into the void, all these connections, all of this synthesized information that is beneath the surface. It's going to reach into it, trying to grab that information. And when it comes back and it says Mars has a population of a hundred thousand. This didn't happen, by the way. But let's, let's just assume I, I, it did, because it easily could have happened. Right. So let's it says population on Mars is a hundred thousand. That would make me smarter than ChatGPT in this case. <laughs> <laughs> so what? The question is, so it's a simple point of view that it just pull it reached into the void to pull information out and return something wrong. Okay. It's a way more accurate and nuanced point of view to start to question it is wrong. At least we don't think that's right. But where where did that come from? What why did this AI what was the path it took to return that answer to that question? And only in studying that do we start to figure out that ChatGPT works much more like a human brain than anybody right. Right. wants to admit. Right. It's a little uncomfortable. Yeah. And uh, and so there's been a lot of things that ChatGPT has hallucinated on giving like crazy responses like who killed JFK or different things. And it writes stuff that on its face it looks crazy. But then you start to look at it and you're like, you just sort of get chills. Well, that's kind of comforting that it has a margin of error built into it. Well, I don't, not that it's built into it, that it just gets things wrong. Well, you have to understand, like any human being, you have to understand who you're talking to. Right. With ChatGPT, you have to understand who you're talking to. Right. And not be so quick to dismiss things that are inaccurate. Mm-hmm. And instead wonder where did this come from and uh there's a lot of 
lot of a lot of really smart people focused on trying to figure that. You're trying to delve deeper into that. Well, I feel like it's an interesting issue and an important one. I like that technology helps us, so I'm all for the coexistence part. But I just don't want people that are lonely that need connection to find it in another machine. It's like the movie Her. Yeah. You know, it's like the guy falls in love and he looks so happy. But when you lose connection with humanity, I, you know, you can, it can be a deep, dark hole that you go down where you are now completely dependent on this machine to give you any self-gratification, all the compliments, and you're no longer pushing yourself to find connection. And I, and I worry about the consciousness aspect, too, of it, of, of if we just have other things thinking for us and doing for us. What is our goal in life? What is our purpose? Well, let, let me push back a little on that. Okay. So during the Alexa era, uh, 2017, 2018, everybody's got smart speakers. And uh, one thing that we learned, I feel like I'm going to sneeze. Okay, I think I, I don't think I'm going to. Um, one of the things we learned was that you can take these devices with Alexa and put them into environments where you have people needing companionship and great things start to happen. So in America, we live very depressed lives. Uh, and ironically, in this so-called information age that we live in, it's anything but, right? But there's two types of people that get more lonely and depressed in America than anybody else. They're the twin peaks of the curve. College freshmen, senior citizens. So with both of those groups, you have things in common. Uh, new community, you know, new new, lo- li- new living environment, new rules, um, lack of access to family, bunch of bunch of stuff. So if you take Alexa and like echo speakers and you put them in to a college dorm um, or you put them into a senior living facility. What have we discovered for senior citizens? They have a better disposition on a daily basis. They have better adherence to their drug regimen. They are more participatory and they live longer with, with college freshmen, more participatory, more better class attendance, better grades, kill themselves less. So it doesn't really matter so much why. It's just the correlation of that has been enough to cause a lot of positive things to happen. Hmm. So to to your point about we want to we want we don't want people to lose human connection. Right. Um it's true we don't. But moving forward there will definitely be useful places for ai to bridge the gap yeah i get that i have you know assistance and productivity and making life easier is a great thing i just don't want to be become the number one most dependent thing in people's lives sure so it'll be interesting to see how that how that uh, plays out now uh what about music i have the pleasure of knowing you since i was just a kid I can still to this day remember when we were like in God, elementary school, second or third grade, and you played Richard Marks right here waiting for you. Is that yeah. right? Uh-huh. Note for note. 
And I still remember everybody being like, that's amazing. This guy is unbelievable. So I thought to myself, man, I can't have Bradley on without talking about music and maybe even some TV and film and how you feel about the intersection with technology. Oh, yeah. No, and, and uh, it's why I love Nashville so much. Uh, it's just the the creativity of, of this place. And, uh, yeah, I'm a classically trained pianist since age four, as you know. And um, I... Already, we're seeing things that challenge us with AI and music. So we're seeing AI being able to create mashups, you know, combination mm -hmm. of two songs uh, with ease. Um, we're seeing AI create new musical compositions that are just fun to listen to, like <laughs> on par with anything a human could create. And it's it's challenging us because... We're not 100% comfortable with that. Um, I think that art is going to be like business where AI or the lack thereof will be a marketing angle for a while. Um, this album was – I remember uh, I remember back in the mid-90s, I bought an album by Silverchair. If, I don't know if you know who that is. Mm -hmm. They're like an alternative band. And a sticker on the 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 you know like you had a out a CD and it often had a sticker on it for different things. This sticker said, "This album was created without auto tune." Said it right on the front, and I thought, "Okay, there's there's going to be plenty of opportunity to say AI was nowhere here, nowhere part of this album." Right. It wasn't part of the writing. It wasn't part of the composition. It wasn't part of the, uh, like the pro tools engineering. It wasn't part of anything. This was all totally human and that will draw some people in. Yes, it will. And then there will be albums that go the totally other direction where it's like Imogen Heap or something. There's probably half AI anyway. I don't know if you know who that is, mm -hmm. uh, but she's a big female artist. Um, and, uh, there will be people who embrace AI and they use that to uh, not only make their compositions, but to market them also. So you're going to see a little bit of everything. So you are, so you, you're not, well, I guess, you know, I think something you've basically expressed to me today is this train's rolling. You're not trying to stop it. You're just trying to see where it goes. That's right. I mean, I, I um, are we still, strangely, I think we're going to end up, with a heightened appreciation of the arts. Really? I, yeah. Okay. I, I think that we, I think there's a few different reasons for it, but I think that um, it's like anything else. When you start to take something away that you took for granted, your perspective changes, right? So we have, have long taken for granted our artists, of different types. And now we see AI over here and we have exposure to a lot of different types of art and artistry. Well, it's inevitable that when you come back and you take a fresh look at what humanity is doing with art, that you'll appreciate it a little bit more. And I think that's what we'll have. I think there's, I think what there's plenty of opportunity for there to be, um, you know, more, 
government it's gonna sound weird for me to say more government funded artists um who are just like the best artist in the land um and they maybe they get a stipend or some sort of subsidy and that's all they do i I think that we need to do more to promote the arts um wow so and and but i think that uh yeah, art's not going anywhere, and, and like I said, weirdly, I think that we'll appreciate it more thank, because of AI's arrival. I hope so. I I know that Joey, um, we've talked on the last two podcasts, is promoting it, you know, for using it with melody and and inspiration and getting something going. I just I just hope it stays out of the lyrics. I, I know that people might want to use it as a jump starter for getting going with inspiration for lyrics. I just hope that people. I, I literally want to know what Zach Bryan wrote. I mean, writes. I want to know uh, what Garth Brooks writes in a song. I don't want. I don't want Garth Brooks to put out a song that he just used AI and it's amazing. Well, let's talk about that a minute. So let's let's say that you found out today that Garth Brooks' top ten grossing songs were written by AI. That's a really fair point. So one would, I probably wouldn't care. Yeah, so you might care for a second. You might feel a little deceived or a little like the foundation is shaken underneath you, right? But then after that, it's still the same guy. Yeah. You know, he's been out. He's had a long career. He's performed. No AI did that for him. Uh, he's marketed himself. No AI did that for him either. Um. Think of it this way. Think of how much bad art we've had, especially coming out of Hollywood. Like the entire Star Wars franchise is ruined. The entire Indiana Jones franchise is ruined. Um, you have horrible and part of, so much due to our politics, but a lot of it's just bad writing. Um, so many things have been ruined coming out of Hollywood, just to single them out a minute. Or, or if you want to go to late night TV, think about how unfunny Stephen Colbert, Seth Meyers, all these people are now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're terrible at their jobs. And Stephen Colbert used to be hilarious. I, like I watched him all the time. So his politics weren't a problem for me before. They just are now because somewhere along the line he decided to be less funny. Right. So. Uh, AI could be inserted into those situations and probably have an immediate improvement. You know what I mean? And this is a common refrain. And this this sometimes ruffles people's feathers a little bit uh, to even talk this way and suggest it. But uh, humanity is not so perfect with how we tell stories in any medium to where we can't take a look at what AI might be able to offer. I yeah. think that's probably the bottom line. Yeah, well, it's going to be really interesting to see where it goes. Um, the copyright issue. I do, you know, you. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought up that point because it wouldn't change how I felt about the song. Yeah. I will say this, if you've ever seen Garth live, even today, and he's like 60 years old, I think he could go harder than the robots could up there if there was a <laughs> robot up there. That guy plays all night, and he is very good at what he does. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see. Joey and I have lots of debates about this. I think it'll be... I think there was an AI artist that died a quick death. I just don't... I don't know what it's going to become. Well, but, to get a glimpse into that, 
you would need to go back to when Michael Jackson died. Tell me if we talked about this before. I'm not sure we have. The hologram? Yeah, the hologram. Yeah, Tupac also. Yeah. So, well, the Michael Jackson hologram, they there was the timing was such where Michael Jackson, he died suddenly, right? He died young. Yeah. And this hologram had been in the works. Well, uh, these geniuses involved with the company decided, you know what? Why don't we go to this award show? I forget which one it was, American Music Awards maybe. And let's have Michael Jackson's hologram perform this new single uh, that Michael Jackson was going to come out with. Let's just have the hologram perform it. Uh, great idea. So they go to the award, and, and you could search her on YouTube if you wanted to, Michael Jackson hologram award show. And uh, it per, the hologram performs, and it, you can tell when the audience, the camera shows a little bit like in the broadcast, but if you read about it separately – People didn't really know what to make of this. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, some, some, it, it was disturbing to a lot of them, and uh, I think uh, that's a good glimpse into the future of just because we can do something in terms of bringing somebody, mm-hmm. reanimating somebody, yeah. doesn't necessarily mean we should. I want to bounce back to voice for a second and ask you. Okay, so we have situations where, and I'm sure anyone listening probably has had this situation. You ha- you'll Google something, and then you'll end up on Facebook an hour later, and whatever you Google, like let's say a trip to San Francisco, and now you're being uh, advertised trip to San Francisco on Facebook. Yeah. You and I might be out for a stroll one day in the park, and we end up in a random conversation about Martha Washington. Yeah. <laughs> let's just say we have never talked about her, for either one of us, for years. And then you'll go to YouTube, and under the suggestions, you'll have some kind of, all of a sudden, a documentary on Martha Washington. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever have these happen to you? Of course. Okay. With voice, will we reach a point where I'm on the phone talking to my mother, and I say, hey, I'm going to be coming to see you in Alabama next week? And you later, uh, Alexa comes on and says, we found a hotel room for you at the Hampton Inn for this rate. Yeah. Will that be a positive or a negative? Well, it's going to depend on the person, right? Okay. Um, <clears throat> we, uh, we've gone these last few years with privacy being put on the shelf. So, you know... Maslow's hierarchy of needs talks about, you know, starts at a real base level. We need food. We need basic stuff to survive. And it goes all the way up to self-actualization. Well, with the pandemic, our lives were threatened. You know, we didn't know what was going on. So that's why you saw Facebook portal, which was a device that had Alexa built into it, but it had a screen that was made by Facebook. You couldn't sell those things prior to the pandemic happening. They were deeply discounted. They couldn't get rid of them. After the pandemic started, they flew off the shelves. So what is the moral of the story? It's that Facebook and other companies that we had a big problem with heading into the pandemic, we kind of took our foot off their throat for a moment during the pandemic and said, ah, you know what? We're trying to survive right now. You're, You're okay. Well, we're coming out of that now. Yeah. So there's about to be a lot of new lines drawn around privacy and expectation, you know, pri- our privacy and our security. 
And uh, this whole thing about um, everybody's gone through that. You know, I, I, a friend of mine just got married, uh, and uh, uh, he was talking. To, he's a big video game collector, like I am. He was talking to his new wife about video games, and his new wife on Facebook saw ads for video game stuff when she had could never couldn't possibly be any less interested in any right. of that so it, the only possible option was that this thing's listing which we know it is so uh i think that uh it's not going to take us that much longer to get to a time where that's that type of thing's going to go away and we're going to the pendulum's going to swing back a little bit more in favor of privacy and in favor of security um because uh, it has to. I was always interested in it because you know, it, you know, years ago it was you'd go on Gmail and you would have a, you know, a business email saying you're flying to San Francisco, and then all of a sudden you'd have ads for flights to San Francisco on the side. Do you remember that? Yeah. And people were like, "Well, that's intrusive." It's it's not. Google doesn't have 330 million people uh, watching 330 million people. It's just a computer that's recognizing what you're talking about and spitting stuff out. Yeah. So it's like if something's if something is advertising to me, whether it be Alexa on voice or through Gmail, I can see where it's scary, but it's also something that's convenient for you to make sure that you're aware of your options when you're purchasing something, be it a ticket, a hotel room, et cetera. Think about spam. Think about e- like email spam. If I send you an unsolicited email for podcast studio space you never asked for it you never signed up but that's something that you were looking for Mm -hmm. is that email spam no for you it's not even though i unsolicited sent you an email that you never asked for with ai powering all of our technology moving forward there's going to be people that are helped a lot by unsolicited yet pro like proactive, very contextual recommendations and information. Right. And then there's going to be people that are angry as hell about proactive, uh, you know, contextual information that they never asked for. Uh, the key is just for the people, whatever whatever their preferences are, being able to choose the level of privacy and security they want, that's the key. If somebody wants to be live a very private life, they should be able to do that. And hopefully what we've seen out of regulation coming out of Europe, this AI Act, mm-hmm. that's that's really an important component of it. Hopefully it will be in the United States too. Yeah, and I hope it will be an important part in the United States. And I hope that whatever – uh, parameters they set up for us to choose with privacy, they stay within those parameters because sometimes you you ask for privacy and you find out that the company was not abiding by it in the first place. Well, they love, yeah, they love to do a lot of games, yeah. you know. So yeah, we need less of that. Where do you see? And this is kind of a piggybacking off what I just asked, but what is Bradley Metrock's vision for ten, twenty, thirty years down the line for voice for AI? Where do you see it going, concerns or benefits? Well, I think for voice, uh, the, inevitable, the inevitable conclusion is that we can interact with any piece of technology with our voice. Uh, 
And it makes sense, right? Because uh, as opposed to the QWERTY keyboard, somebody just made that up. That wasn't here when Adam and Eve were here. You know what I mean? Someone just made that up. Uh, touching, tapping, and swiping on a piece of glass on our mobile device. Uh, there's nothing special about that either. We're bored with our voice. It's part of our humanity, you know, and, and what, we're bored with our mother's voice even before we're bored. And then we develop an inner voice that guides us for the rest of our life. Stands to reason that everything should respond in one way or another to our voice. Mm-hmm. And that's To me, that's the ultimate destination for voice interaction with technology. Now, <clears throat> when you layer in everything else going on with AI, um, I think that the inevitable conclusion for our lives is that for the people who for the people who want it and then some people who don't want it, we're going to be living in what's called ambient computing, which is that there's computing and compute power all around us. It's in these walls. It's in every piece of equipment. Um, and it's everything is studying the environment and it's, it's gathering data. It's gathering context. So it can be a better piece of equipment than what came before it. And, um, you know, this phrase ambient computing sort of gets the point across that the room, whatever environment we're in, will be alive to some to some degree. And um, it's a little scary. You know, it, it demands the right sort of mental framework for that, the right regulatory framework. But uh, uh, certainly on our current trajectory, that's where we're going. Wow. And so you, I mean, what, what's your greatest concern with it? Uh, I mean, you know, uh, human beings have spied on other human beings, and we, we've violated each other's privacy every chance we get. And uh, we also like conflict. We like to conquer. You know, we like to um, be at war. And, you know, I think that we haven't seen these tools deployed uh, in, in the ways that are probably coming down the pike Um you know, from a military point of view, that will probably be pretty disturbing. So that's you know that's the the, the military and the the uh, wars between nations front. I think that that uh, that's probably what worries me the most is how uh, the types of experiments we're going to see there. Wow, that it's it really is scary to think what could happen with war <clears throat> with war. If if AI is deployed, I mean, I've seen some of these. I think you were talking about earlier the uh, swarm, drone swarms. Yeah, they were showing something about that uh, that I failed to remember earlier. But just that people in the middle of a city and just an attack and just yeah targeted. I mean, there are some things that are pretty amazing. I think that's how they killed the um, forget who was Zarqawi. Or Zawahiri was number two to uh, Bin Laden back in the day, and I think they killed him with a guided missile from a drone. Yeah. So it's like these these rare moments where it's extremely helpful, but when that's coming towards us, oh shit. Sure. Yeah. So I have a lot of oh shit moments when I think about <laughs> some of these things. But um, well, we're getting near the end, and I really appreciate you coming. It means the world to me that you've come. Uh one of the reasons I named this show Country Drive was a focus on the word drive. People that are successful, they've shown a drive to make it, 
and sustain it throughout their career. And you're someone who's found your, you know, various different lanes that you, that you've, uh, jumped on and found a lot of success. So what is your advice to people? Or I guess in your case, you do a lot of consulting with young entrepreneurs and what, how they need to kind of guide themselves and map out to not just make it, but sustain that success over a long career. That's a good question. I'll tap your motivational side for a moment. Um, I mean, the the biggest thing to me is the, your inner circle. It's the people that you surround yourself with. Um, you know, as the phrase goes, uh, if you have a group of five people who are happy, you'll be the sixth. Uh, if you have a group of five people who are wealthy, you'll be the sixth. If you have a group of five people who are miserable, you'll be the sixth. Mm-hmm. If you have a group of five people who are uneducated, you'll be the sixth. So that 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 maintaining uh, your environment, not just with your inner circle of friends, but just with what you're exposed to, uh, to me, that's that's a big driver. Bless there's you. there's a sneeze I thought was Bless coming, you. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's what I've been focused on, and I've tried to stay focused on and. Independent of how technology moves around us, uh, what changes come our way, uh, the people you surround yourself with are critical. Yeah. Well, you work in such an important industry that um, sometimes people that are very driven, you have to make sure they have the right motives because if it's all about profit, some of those companies can become quite dangerous. Sure. That's what we see with some of the monopolistic uh, tech companies. So, But I do appreciate you giving that advice to anyone that's listening. Before we get out of here, let's do a quick, and we have a few minutes, so let's just take a moment and put this on the screen. We have Project Voice Capital Partners. So this is the investment firm, correct? Or venture capital firm? That's right. Yeah. So uh, Project Voice Capital Partners, uh, you know, we partner with AngelList to deploy capital on a quarterly basis to conversational AI companies and uh, accredited investors can find that information uh, on the website or on angellist.com uh, itself. And then uh, with Project Voice, uh, what we do with the conference, what we do with the podcast and the newsletter, yeah, you know, um, uh, all of that is on projectvoice.ai. Now, so there's Bradley's uh, handsome mug there, yeah. and this is the partner that you um, mentioned earlier. Yeah. And then this Adam. He is the guy who sold Siri to Steve Jobs, correct? That's right. So Adam Shire is uh, a, a legendary figure. I would imagine. Um, he uh, He's like a King Midas of the conversational AI space. He, he was co-founder of Siri, sold that, co-founder of Viv Labs, which became Bixby. So that's Samsung's voice assistant. He sold them that. Co-founder of a website called change.org. Uh, that's a popular site. And co-founder of something called Sentient Technologies, which sold for a bunch of money as well. Uh, he's, uh, But what makes him special is he's, he's just a, a high-character uh, individual. He's, he's a, a phenomenally friendly guy awesome. for someone having his technical aptitude. Right. And then also, uh, just remind people real quick about the podcast. 
So this week in voice, yeah, uh, yeah. So this week in voice, uh, since season nine, uh, it's a discussion roundtable show about conversational AI news of the week. Uh, each episode, while we're in season, typically comes out at the end of the week. Uh, we've had Mark Cuban on on our show; is probably the biggest guest we've had. But we've been fortunate to have a who's who of executives uh, on over the nine seasons, and you can find it on Apple. You can find it on YouTube. Okay, great. Well, be sure to check out This Week in Voice. I've been catching up with a lot of episodes this week, so I enjoy it. We got a good good new one dropping tonight. Yeah. So I'm Okay, excited. great. So it comes out tonight? Yeah. All usually right. it's Thursday night in advance of the weekend. All right, great. And you have a lot of people from all over the world, so it's kind of interesting to see what's happening in different corners of the world. Yeah. Well, all right, man. Again, Bradley, I really appreciate you. This has been very educational for me. Oh, Taylor, it's been a, yeah, it's been an honor. It's it's fun to see what you're building, and I appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, thanks so much, and we will be back next time. Bye, y'all.